I'm Christopher Conover, host of The Buzz on Arizona Public Media. The University of Arizona is planning to return to in-person classes for the fall semester. UA President Robert Robbins sat down with us for a conversation about how that reopening could be accomplished and what the risks are. You know, I think everything's okay. Um, you know, everyone's finishing their finals and then we'll transition to mostly uh, continued online for the summer. And then, um, you know, we're planning 102 days away, planning for uh, re-entry into the fall term face-to-face. And I, I have no idea how many students will actually turn up, but we're going to be prepared as best we can. How do you get prepared? You're essentially reopening a small city, 60,000-plus yeah. people. What are some of the measures you have to take or the university has to take before everyone's allowed back on campus? Well, uh, you know, it's, it's a great question and one that we are spending all of our time on. Obviously, we, we've had to deal with uh, conversion to uh, remote digital learning uh, and our, our staff, our faculty, our students have really done a great job to finish out this term. And uh, most of our uh, summer sessions have been, in the recent years, more geared toward uh, a distance online platform. So we'll continue that through the summer. But we uh, will begin bringing uh, smaller groups of researchers back to campus and, and try to have a, a dress rehearsal for the fall reentry. But we've got a, uh, we're gonna start with weekly, uh, I think it's Wednesday afternoon at two o'clock, we'll start weekly sort of updates to on YouTube Live and Facebook Live and, and of course live press, anybody that wants to show up to, to get the latest of what we're thinking. And you know, it's so complex and uh, we'll make an assessment in that 100 days leading up to reopening um, and hopefully uh, at about the 60 to 75 day mark, we can make a final decision about a, a true go, no go. Uh, if, if we determine there's a, a huge spike in cases, if the governor obviously uh, reinstitutes his uh, executive order about safer in place, then, um, then we would have to abort our mission here. But our mission is to try to to bring people back to campus in the safest possible way we can. And that is the, the overarching objective. It has to be safe. And so that's a relative term. There, there, there's going to be risk reward benefits from this reward, of course, is that you get that rich on campus face to face experience, but it, it will be very, very different. And I think will continue to be very, very different until uh, we get a vaccine, which which is at least a year, if not years away. I've seen pictures that the Wildcat statue that is on the mall in front of the Union is now wearing a mask. Will faculty, staff, and students, when they're returning to campus, also be wearing masks? Mandated? Yeah, we, we're going to follow uh, CDC and WHO guidelines and, of course, listen to our uh, local, regional, and national public health officials. But we think that um, certainly in the classroom, the, the professors uh, have control of, the, of their classrooms. And uh, we would anticipate that um, individuals would wear masks while they're in the classroom. Uh, moreover, we, we think 
uh, and we'll have all of these things codified and, and uh, set in an operating manual for, for the uh, re-entry in this new era we're in. But we think that when you're inside uh, buildings at the U of A, uh, you'll need to wear a mask. It gets a little trickier uh, once you're out in the uh, public outdoor spaces. Of course, we would always encourage people uh, because of the potential for uh, not being able to appropriately socially distance that you wear a mask as a precaution, uh, even in, in the outdoors. Uh, you know, there, there's less transmission outdoors, but still as a, as a matter of uh, safety to everyone else, including yourself, uh, we, would, we would expect that people would wear masks. But as you see, you know, uh, it's gonna be hard to, as you, you frame the question, mandate it, um, because I, I, we're, we're trying to understand better the policy and the legal aspects of that. Will there be any requirement for testing before large groups return to campus? Well, we're, as you know, we're, we're offering uh, voluntary, not mandatory, but voluntary antibody testing for all 60,000 members of our family. That would include all of our uh, faculty, our staff, and all of our students. And we're, we've, we've started that process and we'll be doing that uh, during the summer. But I think the bigger issue is gonna be uh, the day-to-day -day testing. Um, certainly anybody who's symptomatic uh, would require a test. Um, but then for those that uh, I would say sur for surveillance testing or sentinel testing in these large populations, um, we're working out the algorithm of how we would do that, whether it would be um, you know, once a month, every two weeks. Ideally, I would love to see us be able to do it daily, but it's just not practical. I, I don't know any large-scale clinical lab laboratory at this point in time. Maybe over the course of the next year, we'll, we'll see a difference in, in our country to scale up so that we can handle these large-scale uh, analytic tests and diagnostic tests, but we'll have an algorithm. We're, we're looking at um, a, a 3T model, uh, test, trace, and then treat those that are positive and looking at contact tracing uh, so that we can uh, try to uh, head off and, and get people isolated and treated before they get really sick and prevent them from spreading the virus to others. But one interesting thing uh, we've been exploring would be the use of uh, wastewater-based epidemiology to look at our large buildings to see if there could be a potential hotspot even before um, you know, someone would even get sick or, sick or symptomatic requiring a test. I, I, I will just say, and I haven't run this by the experts, um, but I was watching uh, watching a story, I've forgotten whether it was on Sky News or, or where it was, about the use of, uh, of dogs uh, in airports, I think it was in the UK or maybe even Germany, but uh, that they could uh, correctly identify a, uh, an aliquot of COVID-19 compared to uh, a control, if you will. So we're going to, we're going to, continue to monitor and look for innovations and uh, ingenious ways to try to make it as safe as we possibly can for 
for our community. With the testing, if a member of the community, the University of Arizona community, a faculty member, a staff member, or a student tests positive, what happens, especially if that student lives in university housing, a dorm, or maybe in one of the Greek houses that are much more communal and much closer physically? Yeah, so we're we're going to set up uh, quarantine uh, quarters. We've got one of our dorms that we um, that we'll use to quarantine those uh, positive cases. Uh, for the most part, um, uh, if they're if they're relatively healthy, um, the illness uh, shouldn't be too severe. Uh, but we also think we need an infirmary type. Uh, uh, unit where if individuals got short of breath or, or really had high fevers or um, had other symptoms that would require more medical attention, we would want to have that option for us. And then, of course, if they got, <coughs> excuse me, got really sick, we could drive them north of Speedway and uh, get them into uh, our partner hospital, Banner Medical Center, right here on campus. We're talking a lot about students, but of course there are also faculty and staff, and a lot of the faculty and staff have earned the gray hairs that they have, which uh, puts them naturally at a higher risk. Are there plans to allow professors who maybe don't feel comfortable coming back or have risk factors to have their classes, have the students in the classroom, maybe with a grad student TA, and then the professor Zoom in or something like that? Yeah, I think you, you hit it right in the sweet spot. That's exactly what we're thinking, to provide as much flexibility for, for our staff members, for our faculty members, and, and we're envisioning giving uh, professors that option. Uh, it makes it a little more difficult uh, for them because they're teaching sort of an in-person and online class because we want to give that option also to our students. Um, Sometimes it may be by design. If we have uh, really large lecture halls, we may stagger and have some students come Monday, Wednesday, Friday this week and Tuesday, Thursday next week. So we're working all these details out and, and uh, uh, Provost Liesl Foltz and her task force for reentry is uh, literally working every day, all day to come up with the policy and the guidance and guidelines uh, that we'll use to um, to have reentry, but you're you're hitting it right on the on the target. So so one of the things, for instance, that Sweden did, the country of Sweden, is they basically didn't shut anything down, but they identified the high risk individuals that uh, in their population in their society, and they quarantined them, uh, they isolated them, and they they tended to their needs uh, both from uh, nutrition, health uh, needs, but also um, psychological needs and, and being able to stay connected with them. Um, you know, that's a, that's a radically different way than, than we're thinking about it, but there's some utility to it. And, and we think for individuals that certainly are over a certain age, the CDC says 65, and who have comorbidities, whether it be diabetes, cardiovascular disease, active treatment for cancer, uh, if they're actively immunosuppressed for an organ transplant or rheumatoid arthritis or, or have some known immunodeficiency syndrome, 
we would strongly recommend that they not come back to the campus environment. But on the flip side of that, I think we've got to give some flexibility to those individuals that um, say they understand the risk and they understand the guidelines, but they choose to come back and be in their office or work in their lab. We would want to make, make sure that the entire campus uh, would be safe enough, even for those individuals to come back uh, making sure that they're properly protected uh, because individuals have to go to the hospital uh, occasionally. They have to go to the grocery store occasionally. We would hope if, if they were actively immunosuppressed that they wouldn't do these things, but sometimes out of necessity, they have to. And if they chose to come back to campus, even against the, the recommendations and guidelines, that's that's a, an important issue that we're having dialogue about right now. This week it was announced uh, California State University was staying online for fall Harvard Medical for incoming freshmen and dental students and graduate students are staying online for fall. It sounds like on the University of Arizona's behalf, this is a calculated risk. Do you worry that risk can backfire? Absolutely. I, I mean, I got asked that, uh, you know, I get asked that multiple times every day. I, I you know, I have great concern about it. Um, and and so, so it's a, it's a risk reward balance here. We hear from our students and many of our faculty, particularly our research intensive faculty that, you know, they want to get back to their labs. They want to get back to their research groups. They want to, I, I think the ABC reporter that interviewed me yesterday spoke to a faculty member who's, who uh, was described as being, I don't know who it is, but described as being 64 years old and right on that line. And that individual said they miss the energy they get from the face-to-face -face teaching. Uh, and they know it's a risk, but it's uh, a risk that they're willing to take. And I think that's the important point, Chris, is that Every, we don't know people's medical history. They're gonna have to make this decision on their own, just like our students will. Um, you know, it may be that we don't have any students come back and we are by default gonna be all online. And so the decision will be taken out of our hands at that point. But from what I'm hearing and hearing a lot of, uh, that students really wanna come back to campus and have that uh, campus face-to-face -face experience, um, probably because uh, for many of them, uh, they had never been, you know, forced into this rapid online world. I, I think it's worked really quite well uh, from what I've heard, but still people are craving those social interactions. And, and so we're gonna, we're planning to make the, make our best effort uh, to, to re-engage campus and, and bring people back together, but only if we think that we can do it as safely as possible. And that, again, is a relative term, uh, but we'll make all the determinations that we can and, and try to make the best choice for everyone involved. I, I will say that, uh, that the interest in the University of Arizona, uh, after the CSU announcement was made yesterday, we have a lot of students from California interested in what we're doing at the University of Arizona. And I, I think that just uh, kind of validates the, the approach that we're taking, but we'll do it very thoughtfully,
purposefully and uh, and if it's not safe, if we make that determination, we won't do it. We're talking with University of Arizona President Robert Robbins. There are those on campus who aren't ready to come back, who don't think we should be coming back and say, this decision is being driven totally by finances, that we know the university has various debt out there from building new buildings and things like that, and this is all being driven by finances. How do you answer that accusation? Yeah, well, I think that it's a combination of all factors. Um, you know, it was one of the most difficult uh, decisions to have to go with our furlough program, and we've we've been... Uh, soundly criticized for being so far out in front of this uh, compared to other universities. But as I talk to my peers, you, you can be assured that other we're not unique. Uh, others are uh, feeling this pain, uh, even nationally, you know, some of the highest unemployment levels in our nation's history. We have to go back to the Great Depression of the 1930s to find these unemployment levels. And this is going to continue for sometime, uh, as I said before, until we get a vaccine, which could be, uh, you know, at least a year away, maybe years uh, away. Uh, and so our, our goal was to try to preserve jobs. That's why we went with this aggressive um, furlough program, furlough-based program, and also to be transparent and to tell our community what we knew. We saw the numbers. Now, a lot of these uh, financial projections are based on uh, us coming back face to face. Uh, if we choose not to, if we're guided by the, the science and the data not to come back online or not to come back in uh, face to face, but have to stay online, then those financial projections that we made uh, are gonna increase dramatically. And then we're gonna be faced with even tougher decisions that we have now. We think we've got uh, a, a very aggressive, obviously, mitigation strategy, um, but it, it's designed to save jobs and uh, uh, for people to, to have to take uh, days off from their job. And we know that hurts them financially tremendously. Um, but with the, with the idea that we are going to get through this, and I'm, I'm confident that, that we're going to get through this, even if we have to go online and have to reduce our workforce, um, we'll make it through this because there will be some uh, treatment, uh, probably a vaccine in the future. And, and we're just gonna have to um, be very disciplined until that day comes. You mentioned 60, even 40 days out, you could make some changes to the decision to come back in. But what if it's mid-September and all of a sudden yeah. there's a spike, what yeah. happens then? Yeah, this, this is my biggest concern of all. Um, if we, you know, we get to mid-October and we see a massive spac, uh, spike, uh, because the, without question, there's gonna be a second wave. I'm not even convinced we're, we're finished with the first wave in Arizona because we haven't had as many cases, obviously, as uh, places like New York City or, or Los Angeles. But I, I think that uh, during the typical winter uh, influenza season, we're gonna see a second increase in the number of COVID-19 cases. And so we've gotta, we've gotta be prepared for that. 
and so that's my biggest concern. If we get overwhelmed, then it will have been a, um, a big mistake to have tried this. Um, but we'll only note that after we try. And if we think that uh, uh, we're, we're obviously uh, gonna be facing failure and, and we would have to send by people back, I think that'll set us back even further than making what, what many would say would be the easy decision uh, to just stay on, online right now, to do what the Cal State system uh, made the tough decision to do. And I know it was very tough for their chancellor. I actually uh, have reached out to him and we have a phone call later to discuss his thought process of, of how uh, he arrived at that decision. So I'm listening to is everybody that I can to get input about making this decision. And we'll, we'll make it with uh, our uh, senior leadership team in conjunction with our shared governance leaders, our deans, our faculty members, our students, um, their uh, loved ones and parents who are, are responsible for their health and, and trust us to be responsible for their safety when they send them to the campus. So uh, you're right, we, we will continue to monitor this uh, daily. We're, we're gonna start next Wednesday with uh, weekly updates uh, through uh, YouTube Live and Facebook Live. And of course, as I said before, with press, if they wanna come to these, uh, these updates, and, and we'll walk people through week by week where we are and, and what we're thinking at that time. Big part of campus life, especially in the fall, is football and other sports. What have you heard from the NCAA about uh, possibly playing or not playing? Yeah, this is another one that is, in, that is so fluid and, and they're, <laughs> they're all kind of rumors. And I, I've heard nothing from President Emmer. Uh, and... Uh, and, and so the PAC-12, uh, the presidents uh, will be meeting uh, next week to, to discuss where we are. Uh, I know the athletic directors are meeting frequently. Um, the PAC-12 has a very progressive uh, health and uh, wellness and safety uh, uh, subgroup that I and a couple of the other uh, PAC-12 presidents participated with Commissioner Larry Scott and his team uh, a few days ago, and I'm very, very impressed with the plan that, uh, that they're crafting. And of course, things are moving so quickly, these, pl these plans are, uh, are being worked on uh, in real time and they're changing rapidly. So that's why nobody has uh, definitive answers right now. My gut still tells me that there will be every effort made to try to um, to have competition for the fall sports. Um, and that's coming up in September, as you correctly pointed out. I, I, would, I would think, um, you know, from just from what I've, I've heard or watched on uh, TV, um, the NFL is gonna try it, Major League Baseball is gonna try it, but they're gonna, at least what I understand, do it without fans or with very, very limited fans. And if we were to go forward with, uh, college sports in the fall. I, I think there would be no fans. Uh, and if there were fans, it would be very, very limited. I, I just, I can't imagine how we could um, control that adequately to make it uh, safe. 
As we wrap this up, you mentioned the antibody testing before. You got one of the first tests on campus. Have you gotten the results? I have. I have gotten my results. And, you know, when, uh, when we uh, did that and I, I held a press conference to say that, you know, our intention was to come back face to face in the fall and that I'd gotten my test and, and that I was really hoping I would be positive. But I am negative, unfortunately. I, I guess it's fortunate and for, unfortunate. Um, because I never really was uh, ill, but just like all of us that may have had a, a bad day, I, I know I, I kind of pegged it, as I said, maybe publicly to March 7th. I, I just wasn't feeling right. I had some muscle aches. I, I think it was probably because I was uh, doing a lot of traveling and it, uh, uh, it was right before I went to the Pac-12 conference uh, tournament, uh, basketball tournament. And I just wasn't feeling quite well uh, then. And I thought for sure I uh, had some subclinical case of it, but I think it was probably um, just uh, burning the candle at both ends and going too hard. But I felt great. I, I tell you, this has been uh, the silver lining for this whole thing, if there is one, and, and it's hard to find one, is that uh, I've learned so much more about the university uh, these Zoom uh, calls, which are, you know, 12 to 14 hours a day, um, I, you know, you get to see people's faces and interact with them uh, in a way that's different than face-to-face. -face. Um, certainly, I prefer the face-to-face, -face, but I have seen the tremendous dedication uh, of our students, our faculty members, our staff. I think people are working harder now than they were uh, before March 11th. Obviously having to, uh, to turn and um, uh, pivot on a dime to get the, the semester finished out through a distance learning that was accomplished in five days. I, I still marvel that that could, could be done. Um, but I've heard, I've heard a lot of people talk about, particularly those that, um, you know, students who are really uh, have labs, uh, you know, I, when I said, how can we possibly be ready in five days? How do you teach uh, organic chemistry lab online? And, and I was talking to uh, a neighbor um, recently who is a mechanical engineering student who said, well, you know, the lab, it's working okay. It's okay. But the labs, we don't actually do the labs. We're provided with the results of the experiment we've done, and then we write up the lab report. And so much of, uh, of labs, of course, are analysis uh, of what the results mean and how you interpret them and things like that. So for you know, architecture students, for nursing students who have practical things that they need to do, um, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot that we, we are, we should at least give this a try if it's safe. And I keep, I keep emphasizing that. We'll only move forward if we absolutely think it's safe. All right, well, thanks so much for uh, spending time on Zoom with us. Well, Chris, one last thing. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I'm reading just as much as I possibly can and having conversations with, uh, with colleagues all across the country and around the world. There, there was an article in, uh, in the Chronicle of Higher Education about a model done at UCLA. And I was really struck by this because they modeled to say that uh, 
that if you just look at the in-class experience and you, you looked at the, uh, the infectious rate of COVID-19, which is the, the R0 value is, is five, for regular influenza, it's in the low to mid twos. Um, if you if you looked at COVID nineteen and it behaves like you know this is why it's so important to get the data, but the epidemiology that we've seen so far, that based on that modeling, uh, that the the uh, student body at UCLA would ninety four percent of them would be infected by the end of the year. So this is this is data now. If it if it acts more like the re regular influenza, then it's only eight percent. I, I think it's more toward the ninety-four percent than the eight percent, obviously. But if we need to model that ourselves, again, Los Angeles is a different place than than Tucson, and we've been blessed not to have as many cases. And the other thing I would point out is we've got some experience now with about five or six hundred students in our uh, dormitories. And we just have not seen the spread that we thought we were going to have. I the reason I was on the testing so early was because I didn't know if there were going to be five or six hundred students left in our dorms or if there would be five to ten thousand coming back. And we just have not seen the uh, the rate that I thought we would see. Um, but you know, once you bring them back face to face. Um, we'll do our own modeling and use the UCLA uh, methodology and, and see what we come up with. But that's pretty daunting that 90 plus percent of your students would get infected. And that's why it makes it even more uh, problematic for our older staff and faculty members, particularly if they've got comorbidity, because they're the most vulnerable and high risk population. Do you look at all at what other states are doing? For example, I think you've said in the past 40% of our student body is from out of state, mostly California, Texas, Illinois. If you see sudden spikes there, does that start to change some of your thinking? It does. It does. Now, so that's where the, uh, that's where the testing comes in. And you know, we could go on for hours talking about algorithms, about how many times we're going to test and who we're going to test. We're going to offer the antibody test to everybody, totally on a voluntary basis. And that'll give us a lot of good information about who has had, who has been infected in the past. But for ongoing management of the, of the disease, we need frequent uh, viral or molecular or antigen testing. Uh, and that has to be Frequently, you know, the ideal would be we test everybody every day to find out. So they're surrogates, right? They're, they're questionnaires we can use, you know, have you had symptoms? Do you have uh, fever? And that would be defined as a, as a temperature greater than 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit. So we can, we can have these surrogates, but you really do need to test. And so I, I think these are all going to be really important parts of our 3T approach, which would be test, trace, and treat. And uh, you know, we've 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 got places for isolation in the in the infirmary that I've mentioned. So uh, we think we're we're trying to gear up and plan. We're we're going to roll out a, a incident command model for for staging this and re-entering uh, into campus life. And 
uh, you know, I, I invite you to come to the Wednesday briefings and, you know, continue to ask these really good questions because believe me, these are all the questions that I get asked every day from experts and people who aren't experts who are just uh, so angst ridden and so fearful about what the devastation that this disease can have because we've seen it. We've seen it play out in front of us. So that's why these uh, decisions are so vital and important uh, as, we, as we ponder them. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. You know, I, I, it's amazing to me this, uh, this epidemiologist, this virologist that's on MSNBC and, uh, you know, he's 42 years old, I think, and he's, uh, he's in an ICU on oxygen. He was interviewed last night. Uh, probably got it, he thinks, when he went on a trip to New Orleans, and he was trying to do all the right things. I even read something about he thinks he got it. He was ahead of, he was always in a mask. He thinks he got it through his eye. I, I don't know about that. Uh, I mean, what I understand, this is transmitted as a respiratory uh, infection and doesn't get in your bloodstream because one of the things I asked about was what about testing viral load? Uh, like in the HIV uh, uh, AIDS early days, we, you know, to, to monitor how effective drugs were. Um, but I'm told that this does not make its way that, uh, you know, COVID-19 is not in the bloodstream. It's, it's mainly a, a respiratory uh, illness. Um, my sense is, though, this is a nasty virus. I would be shocked if it didn't get into your bloodstream, but I'm, I'm trying to listen to the experts on this. Thanks for listening to our conversation with University of Arizona President Robert Robbins about the planned reopening of the University of Arizona for in-person classes. I'm Christopher Conover, Arizona Public Media.